Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. I was telling our Bible study class this morning, it's amazing how much going through Revelation has given me such a new view of world events, a new view of Scripture as a whole, and a and an appreciation to know that Jesus Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you have him in your heart, you will prayerfully not have to go through this great tribulation that we've been talking about. But tonight, or actually this morning, we are going to be going through chapters 15 and 16. And do not fear, Revelation 15 only has eight verses, plus it's more like a prelude to lead into the last set of seven judgments, which are the bold judgments. Last week, we left off at the final battle of Armageddon. And so today in Scripture, John goes back to describe God's judgment in greater detail. You see, the world will be falling apart as evil causes those who reject God to grow deeper in their resentment of him. The opportunities to return to God and to tell others about Jesus is today, folks, while his mercy and grace is still extended to the world, waiting one day may just be too late. Because today we see that God's grace and mercy comes to an end. Well, let's jump right in. And I'll encourage you if I'm going to kind of go kind of fast through some of this stuff. So if you miss something, you can always go back and look at it on Facebook. Or we also have a podcast that has the sermons on it. You can just search for my name or the church on any of your devices. You should be able to find it. If you have any problems, you can let me know and I'll direct you on how to find it. But first of all, we must view God's judgment in context with his holiness. Says starting with verse one, then I saw another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. This is why I'm saying that God's mercy and grace comes to an end because his wrath will come to a completion. It says in verse two, I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire. And on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. So let's break there just for a minute to see that John introduces the last set of the seven judgments to come. Again, I must say that Revelation is written in the same style of many Old Testament books. You see, in the Hebrew form of writing, many authors would repeat stories and occurrences And each time they would add a little bit more to the story. So instead of taking one story and saying, this is it, you take three or four. And between that, it's almost like making a sandwich. You make your sandwich layer by layer until you finally get the perfect creation of what you want. And what drives people crazy about the book of Revelation, if you try to look at the book of Revelation in chronological order, in other words, this event will happen and then this event will happen and then this event will happen, then you go all the way back to a different set of seven judgments, then you go to another set of seven judgments, they're more like stacking on one top, one on top of the other so you can get the full detail about what is to come. And so we see that with each account, we learn more about the great tribulation and God's pending judgment. You may remember during the seal and the trumpet judgments that there was usually a lull or a break between the sixth seal 
or the sixth judgment and the seventh one. It would be, we, we talked about it being a time for God to give people an opportunity to repent before that last seal, that last judgment dropped. You see, God gives mankind during the great tribulation time to repent and accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord before the final judgment drops. But here we see those grace periods are coming to an end. There's some key symbolism here in this passage. The seven angels with the seven plagues. Again, we know from studying scripture that the word seven means complete. It means that this is perfect. This is the perfect judgments, the seven judgments that we can see that are coming straight from the throne of God. It talks about the sea of glass and the, the red around it. Well, chapter 4 described the sea of glass. If you go back to Revelation 4, it described the sea of glass as representing God's holiness. But today we see it describing God's judgment. The red color here could be, one, a reference to the Red Sea of God being with his people, or it could be a reference to the amount of judgment and the fire and the heat that will be taking place during the wrath of God's judgment. It's almost like uh, we like to go up to Table Rock every now and then. And some days if you go up there and you go to Table Rock or any lake, really, and you know when it's really still, you can see the reflection of the mountains or whatever is around it in the water. So when you see this sea of glass, it's much like all this judgment is going on and you see a reflection of it in this sea of glass. All of the people who had been victorious over the beast, we see there, it says... Those that have been victorious. Who is that? Those are the saints and the martyrs that had come to know Jesus Christ during the great tribulation. They are considered victorious because even though they may have been killed by the Antichrist, their day of victory over death is coming. Next we see in the rest of uh, verse 2 through 4, the song of Exodus is the song of Revelation. What do I mean by that? The song of Exodus is the song of Revelation. Well, I think you'll be able to see it as we go on. They were all holding harps that God had given them. So yes, you're going to learn how to play the guitar. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So we have two different songs here. And this is the song that they are singing. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Well, we see here that God's presence is among his people even during the Great Tribulation. God's presence is among his people even during the Great Tribulation. The images that are presented in this song that we just read, they mirror the very same song of Moses that, was, that they sang when they were in the wilderness coming out of Egypt. So when it says the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, we see a pairing between the exodus of God's people in Egypt and then the exodus of God's faithful through the Great Tribulation. The song of Moses accompanied with the song of the Lamb. We see a beautiful connection. What is this connection? There's a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a connection between the law, the Ten Commandments, and the love and the sacrifice Jesus made 
so that those of us that cannot fulfill the Ten Commandments to, and be perfect, no one can be perfect. That's why we have Jesus. We also see a pairing that in the Old Testament, the law condemns us. It tells us where we are wrong. And then in the New Testament, the sacrifice of Jesus saves us from that. In the Old Testament, the law showed us our need for Jesus. In the New Testament, our needs are met through Jesus. Just a side note, in this song, we see God's works. We see his ways and we see his worthiness all proclaimed in this song. And if you notice, the martyrs are not singing about how they were killed for their faith. The martyrs are only singing about God alone. Folks, I got to tell you, we, death is the, the final hurdle for us here on the earth. But I got I gotta, to say, when we get to heaven, it's going to be just a bump in the road into eternity. It's just going to be the, the entrance exam. <laughs> it's just going to be the open door to the rest of eternity. And then here we see vi- uh, verses 5 through 8, the final seven bowls of judgment are presented. It says, Then I looked and saw a temple in heaven, God's tabernacle. It was thrown wide open. The seven angels were holding the seven plagues, out, and they came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living beings handed the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed the pouring of the seven plagues. Now, We see here that God's tabernacle is mentioned. Many believe that if you go and read through the Old Testament, I know some of you, you read through the Bible and when you get into the the names and the numbers and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so and it's hard to pronounce those things and then they go into the details of how they prepared the temple and how long the pole should be and where the ark should be and you're like, oh my goodness, this stuff is, whoo! But I'm telling you, Many people believe that the way that God orchestrated and designed the temple for the Israelites in wilderness and the the temple in Jerusalem is based off of what the temple of God is like in heaven. It's it's a, a replica of that. And then we see, notice the source of the seven plagues comes straight from God's throne. Folks, judgment comes from God's throne. The seven angels are acting under God's authority. The fact that the angels were wearing spotless white linens and gold sashes reminds us of God's holiness. Folks, I've got to tell you again, God is holy. It is this holiness that led him to sacrifice his son, Jesus, for your sin and mine. It is his holiness that demands judgment upon those that reject that sacrifice. You will hear many people say today, how can a loving God send people to hell? Have you heard that? Have you thought that? Have you ever wondered what the deal is with that? The deal with that is God does not send people to hell. People send themselves to hell by the choices that they make. Let me tell you this. The reason there is a hell and the reason that there is a judgment is because 
he gave his one and only son to die on the cross so that his blood would cover your sins and mine because he is a holy God and we cannot be in God's presence unless we are holy. And since we don't have the ability to make ourselves holy, that is what Jesus Christ did for us. So do not have a penalty for that, to not have a judgment for that. It would mean that Jesus' blood was spilled for nothing. It would mean that God is not holy. God does not send people to hell. People choose hell by rejecting Jesus. That's the truth of the matter. And then we see the bowls of God's wrath. These bowls are broad, flat bowls, more like saucers that someone could drink from. And it it illustrates how quick they will spill out. You'll notice that it talks about that there was smoke in the temple there. That is a call back to Exodus when God's Shekinah glory would be in the Holy of Holies. In other words, that, that was meant that God, God's actual presence would be with them in this Holy of Holies. That means that God's presence is with them as these plagues are being doled out. And the thing is, is that God's judgment is unstoppable. The fact that no one was allowed in the heavenly tabernacle declares that God's judgment is irreversible and unstoppable. There is nothing you can do to unstop it. There is no online petition that you can sign to stop God's judgment. There is no voting process that you can get for God to suspend his plan. There is nothing we can do. There is nothing we can invent. And there is no place, no planet, no universe we can go to that will stop God's ultimate plan. Whew. We ought to just say amen and go home, right? See, that was we went through a whole chapter just like that. But hold on to hold on to your pew bells, all right? Here we go. Chapter sixteen, verses one through sixteen. The God's final judgments are poured out. Here we see the last seven judgments. All right, you ready? Take a deep breath. Whew. Let's roll. Revelation one says, Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. Folks, since God is not allowing anyone into the temple, this voice must be God himself announcing these judgments. Much like, I've, I've used this illustration recently before, but if you've ever stood at the bottom of the Hartwell Dam and you hear the, and all of a sudden those gates start to open and that water, water starts to flood out. Folks, this is that horn. This is Gideon's trumpet. This is the announcement that these are the final judgments. So you better, this is your shot. If you ever had a shot, this is your shot. The purpose of these judgments are the third of the three terrors we heard about in Revelation chapter 11, verse 14. If you remember, it talked about the three terrors or the three woes. Some translations say woes. Uh, This is the third one. The purpose of God's judgments are not for the sake of punishment, but to lead people to repentance. Much like a parent disciplines a child to keep them out of harmful behavior or a police officer looking for someone to, to, to lock up or to subdue because they're hurting someone else. Again, we see the eerie similarity between the plagues of Moses in Egypt and these plagues that are being unleashed. Some of them they have in common are the boils. 
the waters turning to blood and the darkness. So let's roll on. Verse 2. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statues. Malignant sores, boils. Don't Google that because you will get some very nasty pictures to look at. But basically, you can imagine open sores all over people's bodies. Immense pain. When I, when I hear of boils and sores, I think of the star, story of Job. When Job was inflicted with all of those boils. At the beginning of Revelation, we saw the judgment affecting a portion of the people. Remember where it would say one-third or two-thirds? And now we see all, all people who have the mark of the beast and worshiped his statue will receive these boils. These are the same people that accepted the mark of the beast because they wanted to keep their jobs. These are the same people that accepted the mark of the beast because they wanted to be able to buy their groceries. They wanted to be able to file their taxes. They wanted to be able to be a free citizen. They wanted to be able to go into public places. They wanted to be like everybody else. These are the people that accepted the mark of the beast. You see, the people of Christ that accepted the mark of Christ, they were underground. They were being hunted. They, they were being, I mean, they were not the predator, they were the prey. But now God is evening the score here. Verse 3, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like a blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. I know I've got some fishermen in here, and I may have some fishermen that are watching this video. And I can tell you, if many of you, if you've ever been to a beach where fish have washed ashore, it is an awful smell. I remember years ago when we were living in Wilmington, there was a whale that um, washed up on Carolina Beach. Woo! Yeah. You, you can smell that all over Wilmington. It was awful. I remember I was doing, I used this as a sermon illustration one time. I can't remember where it was, but there was some place like back in the 40s or 50s where uh, a whale washed ashore and they had the bright idea to blow it up with dynamite. It wasn't a good deal. Because chunks of that thing went everywhere. <laughs> and it ended up stinking the whole place. And so, as graphic and as gross as that is, I do have a point for sharing that. The seas will be red with blood. It will be red with the blood. There will be no more sea life. No more fishing on this earth. The only fishing you'll be able to do is up in heaven. All the sea life will be dead. The water will smell like an old Fish has washed up on the shore. Here we see every living creature in the sea dies. Their blood and carcasses will pollute the water. And folks, the water system will be destroyed. You want to see a world go nuts? Destroy the water system. We've even seen that here. When the water system is challenged, people go nuts. You can't find a bottle of distilled water within 30 miles of this place when that happens. Verse 4, then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs, and they became blood. So not only the seas, but those of you who say, well, I'm good. I can go fly fishing in the stream down the street. Nope, it's going to be red too. All the living creatures in that water are going to be dead too. You know, that kind of makes me wonder if you have fish in a fish tank at home, will they die too? Maybe, I don't know. One of those things that just make you think, hmm. But I think in those days when this is happening, my fish tank is going to be the last of my worries. 
Not only the seas will be polluted, but also the rivers and the streams. Jesus' return at this point is imminent. It is just around the corner. With ecological disasters such as this, the human race will not survive long. Folks, we see the universe disintegrating. We see our world disintegrating. We see the circle of life imploding. One person got that. Thank you, Donna. But the evil people of the Great Tribulation, they were so thirsty for blood of the martyrs, now they're going to have to drink blood. Verse 5 says, And the angel who had authority over all the water, saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is, who always was, because you have sent these judgments, since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It's their just reward. These people that wanted nothing but to see God's people destroyed are now going to have to choke on the own, their own version of what God is giving them, their own wrath that God is giving them. God's holiness, again, we see it. You are, you are righteous, God. You are the Holy One who was and always is, is what this says. The ones that once refused the living water of Jesus Christ are now having to drink this blood of death. It says in verse 7, And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone within its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat. And they cursed the name of God, who had control over all of these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. When I read this, I kind of think by the time you get to the end of these seven judgments, it's going to look like, again, the universe is falling apart. Because the only way I could see that we would be scorched by the sun is if how somehow this whole orbit thing got mixed up. And somehow the sun became got closer to the earth than we could handle. The earthquakes that will be happening, the water sources being ruined, the thunders and the windstorms and all of these things, these, these epic natural disasters will be happening. Folks, the world will be falling apart. The sun that once offered light, warmth, and a good tan will now be scorching all those who are left behind. The blessing of the sun would now be a curse. And note the shift. After We've just finished the fourth judgment, and so now we shift from how it's going to affect those who have rejected Jesus Christ. Now it's moving on to the governments and the officials. It concludes those, the fourth bowl concludes those that are directed at God's people. Now it turns to the beast and the government. And look, you would think after all of this, people would be running to God, running to churches, running to Christians. But we saw in the text, in verse 4, they just dug in deeper to their hate of God. Hate of the God. And the worse it got, the more they hated Him. Then, verse 10, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth. Some translations say they gnawed their tongues in anguish. 
And they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Folks, here we see the Antichrist kingdom is plunged into the darkness. Yes, the darkness is symbolic of evil. In other words, the lack of light that there will be on earth. But also darkness is a real darkness that will be felt. And that is explained. The ninth plague was darkness in Exodus. If you go back and look at Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 22, you see that darkness fell and they ground their teeth. Folks, this darkness is a preview of hell. And if you don't believe that this darkness plague is real, Jesus himself talks about it. Let me show you this verse in Matthew 25, verse 30. Jesus himself says, Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Even Jesus talks about this place. Verse 12, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings of the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They look like frogs leaping from the mouths of dragons, the beast and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. It says in verse 15, look, Jesus says, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all those who are watching for me who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around Naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. And again, I'm giving you the, the basics. We could spend hours on each one of these. And I encourage you to study more, to look into these things more. But again, the more I study about Revelation, the more I just want to study about Jesus. I mean, really. The Euphrates River. The Romans considered the Euphrates River to be a secure barrier against invasion from the empires of the east. It was 1,800 miles long and anywhere from one to four football fields wide. The Euphrates River is still there today. And what we see here is that it dried up. In Revelation, we see that part of this plague is the Euphrates River dried up. Now, has that ever happened before? Where a piece of water just dries up to nothing? Yeah, the Red Sea. It says that when the Red Sea split, they walked across dry land, right? So you know what the river that once was a barrier becomes? Now a road for all the enemies to take all of their armies up and sack Rome. The river that once protected them is now dried up, and now it is a freeway for every tank and whatever else is going to be out there to go up and just destroy whatever is in his path. The, the three evil frogs. Frogs were seen as a symbol of uncleanliness. And again, they represent unclean spirits or demons that are carrying out the devil's work. And these frogs, they symbolize the speech and the actions of the world leaders who will be talking at that time. So evidently there may be three national leaders that are under the authority of the Antichrist or under the authority of Satan that will be leading people to assault, attack, and kill God. 
Yes, they are going to be so brazen in their hatred towards God, they think that there's going to be some kind of missile or some kind of technology that's going to be able to take them out. How vain and misguided is that? Then we see Armageddon, which will be the last battle. And believe it or not, Armageddon is not the battle Bruce Willis fought to save the earth. Again, one of you probably got that. (laughs) Donna got it. That was a movie called Armageddon. All right, stick with your notes, James. The battle has been foretold in Scripture. If you were to go back to Psalm chapter 2, verse 2, Psalm 2, verse 2, it says, The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord's against the Lord and his anointed. We see that the evil people that are still here at the end of the great tribulation are going to be are going to be um, fighting against God. Now, this great battle happens at a place called Armageddon. Armageddon. If you ever wanted to to um, Google, you could Google Megiddo. You could actually Google Tell Megiddo. Tell Megiddo. I actually remember I had a biblical archaeology class, and I did a project on the Tell of Megiddo, which a Tell T E L is basically where over the years soil and dirt and and just Nature in general have overgrown these old cities, the old city of Megiddo. And we see here that the great battle happens against or happens at a place called Armageddon or Hare Megiddo. Megiddo is a valley region frequently associated with several biblical battles. Deborah over Caesarea, Gideon over the Midianites, Pharaoh over Josiah. Over 200 battles have been fought in this region since 1468 B.C. We will see the outcome of this great battle in Revelation 19. Next we see the message of the battle of Armageddon. Here is the message of the last final great battle of Armageddon. Be strong and courageous in your stand against sin and evil. The battle has already been won. The battle has already been won by God, but we still need to fight it. That is the message of the Battle of Armageddon. Well, here we are in a home stretch. God's grace and mercy come to an end at the conclusion of his final judgments. This is bittersweet, folks. It's hard not to weep, not to weep when you read this. If you think about the implication here. The seventh angel, and notice there was no lull. There was no opportunity for one more time. This, this is it. It's coming to an end. The door is closing. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple saying, It is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck. The worst since people were placed on the earth. The great city of Babylon split into three sections. And the city of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins. And he made her drink 
the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared, and all the mountains were leveled, and there was a terrible hailstorm. And hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below, and they cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. I can't imagine somebody, I mean, I know when I, when I do get to go to the gym and I work out and I put on the 45-pound plate onto the bar, I can't imagine something heavier than that just falling out of the sky and hitting people. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be awful. People will be crushed as those things fly to the ground. But this is a direct message from the very throne of God. Some translations read it, instead of it is finished, they say it is done. But there are no more delays, no more opportunities for grace. God's judgment is coming to an end, and the deadline is approached. And when you see it is finished, I compared and contrasted two different times that that is said in the Bible. Jesus said that in John chapter 19, verse 30. He said, it is finished, as he drew his last breath. As he finished the work of dying for our sins so that we could know God, that process, the opportunity for us to reach God had been complete. And so now we see it is finished again, meaning that that whole process of being able to come to God through Jesus Christ is over. It is finished. It is complete. And now hold on for the end because it's going to get rough. It's not like he hadn't told us this is coming. It's not like he hadn't warned us. It's not like he hadn't given us all kinds of opportunities to repent and turn to him. But no, this is the end. God proclaims here that the grace and mercy he has offered to all those who would believe in Jesus has come to an end. People have made their final choice. What is it they used to say on was it Everybody Wants to Be a Millionaire or one of those shows? Is this your final answer? Well, yes, this is God's final answer. The mother of all earthquakes hit the earth. God shakes the earth with a, with a tremendous earthquake. And that's even foretold in Hebrew chapter 12, 26, where it says, When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. In the fall of Babylon, what a great city. It's described more in chapters 17 and 18. We'll talk about that later. But needless to say, Babylon's experience is the full extent of God's wrath. The great hail from heaven. Today, we worry that hail may damage our home's roof or car. But I'm telling you, my friend, if it's 75 pounds of hail falling on your car, your car is gone. Your house is gone. Your life is gone. Hail is often seen as a tool of God's judgment in the Bible. So in conclusion, people are cursing God as their world falls apart. That's where we end. In chapter 16, the world is cursing God as their, as their world is falling apart. They curse God because of the terrible plague and because of the hailstorm. It says that in verse 21. This ought to break the heart of every believer today. As the days get harder and the hearts of God's enemies grow colder, people will come to know Jesus during the Great Tribulation. But now, today is the time of harvest. 
Today is the day to be bold with your faith. Not tomorrow, but today, because we are not promised tomorrow. May we return to God and take his gospel message to the world while he is extending his grace and mercy, because one day that grace and mercy will come to an end. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and it is heartbreaking to know that at some point your grace and mercy will end. But, Lord, it's also refreshing to know that this does not go on and on forever, that there is a plan, that there is a plan for those that believe in you, and there's a plan for those that reject you. But as someone who believes in you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, Lord, we will be with you. And may we not just fall asleep as a church and think that this is way down the road or this is just a figurative speech of something that's not really going to happen as bad as it sounds. Folks, I'm, I'm just dumb enough to know that if it says it in the Bible like it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So God, I just pray that we are motivated today to share our faith, to share our gospel. And if there's one here today that is not right with you and they don't know that if they were to die, if they would go to heaven or to be right with you, in a right state. May they know today before they leave this place. They can come forward. I will pray with them. They can pray to receive you. Maybe someone wants to get baptized. Whatever it may be, Lord, this invitation is for you to work, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.